Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. All right, good morning. I think it's still morning. Yes, good morning. Uh, I'm mic'd up again, so uh, crisis averted. Uh, but again, I want to welcome you. I have a new best friend at the first gathering. His name is Tucker. Uh, how many of you were here last week? Last week, raise your hand. I, was, I got a little excited when I was speaking, and I started sweating, so he got me a headband. He's, he's, he said, if I start sweating, just put it on. And I'll take care of the uh, sweat, so uh, grateful uh, to the Lord for that. But you're joining us as we continue in our series through the book of Revelation. The title of the book of Revelation. And so uh, we want to invite you to read the book. I know some folks um, haven't read the book. It's not a common book. Talking to different people. Uh, some people are afraid. They, so, so jump in. Uh, we have a wonderful resource called The Daily. On our website, if you go to downtownhope.org, hit media, there's a link for the daily. And what it is, we have our writers from this body that are, are writing, giving um, just, a, a, just insight into the passage and just asking questions for reflection. That's Monday through Friday to help us as a body walk through the passage together. And then on the wall is a synopsis. <clears throat> so if you want to kind of see where we're headed with the book, uh, take your time after the gathering, before the gathering, and read it uh, to give a win what we'll be doing uh, through the book of Revelation. As I shared last week, this is my favorite book in the Bible. I just love the book of Revelation. It just, it's just, it fires me up. Um, I'm just, it's just a great book. So uh, forgive me for my passion, uh, but it's just, it's just fun because it's a book that just, it points us to Jesus. And anything that's going to point me to Jesus just stirs up my soul. But as we jump in <coughs> this morning, uh, the question to kind of think about is, what does Jesus think about his church? This is sitting here right now, just if you were to think about what, what is Jesus thinking about? This is the things you've seen, that we've seen. Some churches are very self-sufficient, and they rely on their financial resources for security. Right? So some are recovering from scandals. It is so unfortunate, but you, you, you hear of scandals such as sexual immorality that is plaguing the church. So some churches are recovering from the sting of that. Some churches are stigmatized by the community as being intolerant, and so the surrounding community wreaks havoc. Some churches are experts as it relates to church teaching to doctrine, but they've lost the capacity to care for hurting people. Some churches are all image, a lot of activity, but there's no depth. Has anyone seen or experienced a church? Raise your hand. So that's reality, but what's fascinating to me is I'm not even talking about the church of today. I'm talking about the seven churches in Asia Minor that are found in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so what's fascinating is the, the, the same challenges they were having, we find ourselves experiencing today. And John Stott, the theologian, says this, although the message of those churches expresses concerns that apply to all churches, 
By praise and censure, by warning and exhortation, Christ reveals what he wants his church to be like in all places and at all times. When we talk about the church, I just want to throw this out because I know we live in, we're living in a time now where some people are just starting to turn their back on the church. They're saying, I'm done. This is too much drama in the church. And we tend to disassociate ourselves from the church and we're giving up on the church. When you read Revelation 2 and 3, you see that Jesus cares deeply about his church, and I pray you will also. So I want to read kind of as a preamble to the letters to the churches. Chapter 1, I'll read from verses 10 to 20. So Revelation chapter 1, 10 to 20, it'll be on the screen behind. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there as well. And we do have Bibles in the space, so take one if you see one. It's our gift to you. Revelation chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. John says this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lambs, like a seven golden robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From, the mouth, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, he tells us the mystery. What is the mystery? The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the confidence that we can have in you. Thank you always that your word points us to Jesus. And so this morning, Lord, as we search the scriptures, may we find Christ. And in so doing, may we find life and find it in abundance. This is my prayer, Lord. And I pray it in Jesus. Jesus speaking to his church. He was speaking then in the book of Revelation, and he is speaking now. We just read that John has a vision of one like the Son of Man walking among the seven golden lampstands, holding in his hand seven stars. Now, it's easy, right? He tells us what this means, right? People say the book of Revelation is complicated. He just gave us the answer. So I'm going to throw it out to you. What are the seven golden lampstands? Talk to me. Churches. Say it with confidence, everybody. Churches. And then he says the seven stars in his right hand, what are they? Churches. What are seven stars of what? Angels. All right, so who says this book is complicated? It's like sheet on a test. You already have the answers. So he tells us what this is. And this one, like the Son of Man, is Jesus, and he's walking in the midst of the lamps. And Jesus is walking in the midst of his church. And so, friends, that is good news, that Jesus is well aware of the situations taking place in the church, and his message that he's sending through an angel. 
And before I continue, let me just pause right there because there is some controversy over as it relates to the angel of the seven churches. There are some that would read because John's going to write to the angel of this church, to the angel of that church, and they see the word angel, and the Greek word for angel is messenger. And so if you were to get a map, the order of the church is the order of the postal route that a messenger or a carrier would take. And some see the angel as a messenger that came to visit John, got these letters, and then visit the churches. And you, you can hold to that. that. You don't miss Jesus with that. Some see the angels of the church as being the leader of the church, the pastor of the church. And some see Paul, John writing to the pastor. Again, you can go there. You don't lose Jesus. Uh, you know what David's view is? What is an angel? Who is the angel? An angel is an angel. I just keep it simple. And, and the reason why is because in the book of Revelation, there are a number of references to angels, and all of the references except for eight are explicitly speaking. The eight places where it's unclear is chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. So I, I have no problem with John sending the message to an angel that is representing the church. This is something you see, for example, in the Hebrew Scriptures where you have the angel Michael over Israel and you have other uh, entities over nations. I have no problem with that. In fact, the book of Revelation, if you remember chapter 1, verse 1, the message was given by God to Jesus, and he gave it to his angel to give it to John. So in the book, we already see angels communicating the truth of Jesus. So I have no problem with that. But again, postal carrier, pastor, angel, we can all fellowship together. You don't lose anything. Amen? Amen. So Jesus is speaking to the church. It's a high level. I just want to throw this out there so you know what's going on with each church. First church is the church at Ephesus. This is a church that is full of phenomenal teaching. Their doctrine is sound, but they've lost their first love. They are no longer loving the people in their community. They have the church of Smyrna. Smyrna, we, are, we learn in Revelation chapter 2, is a church that is poor, but they're rich in Jesus. Pergamum is a church that sits in the shadow of Satan's throne. Thyatira is a church, unlike Ephesus, who had no love. Thyatira has love, but they have no discernment. And so they are tolerating false teachers. Then you get to the church of Sardis. This is the church that breaks my heart. You read Revelation. The church of Sardis is a dead church that thinks they're alive. Church of Philadelphia, the church we're going to look at today, is the great commission church. And the church of Laodicea, I love what commentators say about the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea, it's sad, is a church that gives God nausea. Because God says, I will spew you out. I will vomit you out. And so the letters generally deal with the issue of being a faithful witness of Jesus in the context of an unbelieving culture. So we have to make this local body to serve Jesus where they live, where they work, where they play. And if we're honest, it can be difficult, right? And so the question we often wrestle with is, how am I going to be faithful to what Jesus teaches when I find myself in a community that may not believe what I believe? And so the churches, to the churches with problems, they're exhorted to strengthen their witness. And to the two churches with no problems, they're encouraged to persevere. And the crux of the message to the churches and the crux of the message to us this morning is that we must remain faithful to Jesus, even unto death. Because many of these churches, not all of these churches, are faithful persecution. 
And for many of us, we, we don't know the life of being a persecuted church. And so when we, but, but, but maybe you're here, maybe, maybe you are being persecuted for your faith. Maybe your family has turned its back against you, away from you. Maybe you're feeling the pressures of professing your faith, and you're feeling the persecution. But for so many people that don't live under that persecution, we have difficulty appreciating what it means to be faithful in the midst of opposition. I think about a buddy of mine who does ministry in Virginia Beach, and he sends teams to South Sudan. And so the, the weight of ministry there, they're constantly asking the question, how can we remain faithful in the face of know the pressures that plague our lives in trying to be faithful to Jesus. I think about the toll of broken relationships because of things such as alcoholism or, or drugs or the pain of sexual immorality in households and the pressure that we face asking, should I continue? Should I give up? Can I still trust Jesus? Many of us know too well the pressure we feel with temptation be it things like pornography, pornography, be it addictions, be it a wandering eye. And deep down on the inside, we ask the question, is, is, is Jesus worth My life is a mess. I, I just want to throw in the towel. I want to give up. I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders, and I'm on the verge of giving up. So for these searches in Asia Minor, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, what do they need to stand firm in the midst of all they face? What do we need to stand firm, to not give up? What do we need when facing attacks from the enemy? What do we need when our friends and family betray us? What do we need when we face trauma, tragedy, and the disappointments of life? What do we need? Friends, we need to hear the voice of Jesus speaking to his churches. And he speaks to us this morning. And in speaking, you're going to hear him diagnose the situation. You'll hear his promise. And lastly, we are then called to hold on to that promise. It's for those facing persecution, those facing the pressures of life, on the verge of giving up, we need to hear the voice of Jesus. Because in hearing his voice, we hear his diagnosis, we hear his promise, and our response is to cling to that promise. So when you read the seven letters to the church of Asia Minor, Revelation uh, chapter 2, uh, chapter 3, there's a pattern. If you read it, did anyone see the pattern that is in these letters? I think the pattern in these letters is a great model for us as it relates to our discipleship in our life in community. You see, each of the churches, the letters, there's a salutation. It begins with a salutation. There's a, a greeting. So I tend to, when I see people, I like to say greetings. And some people look at me back and say, and salutations. So we got like a, we got a good bond going. And so, so Jesus, in speaking to his churches, he's, he, he greets them. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, to the angel in the church of Smyrna, to the angel, there's a salutation, there's an address. Each of these seven letters. Then another thing you see is Christ's self-designation, who Jesus is. Now, the thing that's fascinating is if you see these attributes being called on to each of the letters. So something from the attribute of Jesus is being presented in the letter. He that holds the seven stars in his right hand. And so when you read that, you should automatically say, wait a minute, seven stars? I remember that. And then it starts to make sense. And then Christ's self-designation begins to reveal who he is 
to his church. I think for us in our discipleship path, I think that's a very good model for what it means to abide in Christ. We, we emphasize that we ought to have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. This is John chapter 15. Abide in me, I in you. And in abiding in Jesus, we get a fresh revelation, a new revelation, but a fresh revelation of who Jesus is. And so when you read Scripture, you see all these attributes of God. And if we spend time in an abiding relationship with Jesus, he would reveal himself in these ways. After self-designation, you see Christ's commendation. He commends the church. So, again, I think this is a great model. Have you ever had to give bad news to someone? Raise your hand. Had to tell them something bad. Got on my nerves. There's conflict. I'm beefing with them. There's a problem. Right? Anyone face that? Well, a good model is you always say something good, right, before you get to the bad. You got to butter them up. Hey, Chris, I like your blue shirt. (laughs) Then you know something's coming. So Christ commends patience. Jesus is well aware of your situation. He's well aware of our situation. Friends, when we talk about the church, I think there is a tendency to kind of disassociate ourselves from the communal aspect of what it means to be in the church. We tend to live life and look at life through the lens of individualism. So it's hard for us to see ourselves as being part of. We say we go to church. We don't recognize that we are the church. And when we don't like what's happening in the church, we say, that church is bad. I'm going to find another church. But look at what Jesus does. He doesn't say, run from these churches. He says, here's what you're doing well. He commends them. After commending them, there's also a condemnation. But I have this against you. So Jesus has no problem speaking to the reality of the problems in our lives. This is, again, in this discipling context, this is where confession is so important. Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And so if you're finding yourself going through a very difficult season, what a glorious thing to say, Jesus, is there anything wrong on my part? This is the awesome opportunity to just confess. We just did that a few moments ago, and in the letter to the churches, Christ has no problem speaking to the ills of that church. And not just condemnation, there's this warning. You see it in each letter, remember therefore or else. And so in this context of, uh, of the, by the context of community, in the context of confession, we speak the truth of the gospel to one another so that we don't stay in our condemnation. And we begin to rehearse and remember the truth of Scripture. Not, just, not only do we see Christ's warning, we see his exhortation. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so we open our ears to the voice of Jesus that he might speak. And lastly, there's a promise to him that overcomes. And throughout each letter, you see this constant refrain, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes, pointing us to the reality that Jesus overcomes. So what I want to do in a few moments, just look at a very high level of the church at Philadelphia and see how Christ speaks, he diagnoses, he offers a promise, and then challenge us to embrace the promise. Church at Philadelphia Beginning in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. So here's a church in Asia Minor that Jesus begins to speak to. And do you notice the way Jesus self-designates himself? I, I'm the, the words of the Holy One. 
Again, you see Holy One. That is a callback to Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah was in the throne. Holy, holy, holy. Jesus presents himself as the Holy One, the true one. Again, once again, the scripture talks about how let all men, let God be true and let everyone else be a liar. Jesus presents himself as the true one who has the key of David. This is a place of authority. This is a callback once again to Isaiah when the keys of David was given to Eliakim. So Jesus is saying, this is who I am. I open the door and no one shuts who shuts and no one opens. So they are hearing the voice of Jesus. And then he's going to diagnose their situation. You see it in verses 8 and 9. I know your works. Set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. One of the things taking place as he's diagnosing the situation, he's using the cultural context of Philadelphia to bring light to who Jesus is. So just a quick um, uh, historical context. Philadelphia, if you look at a map, the seven churches of Asia Minor, uh, Philadelphia is... um, Eastmost. And so if you were traveling to Asia Minor, you'd have to go through Philadelphia. And so Philadelphia had the title as of the doorway to Asia Minor. And so this is the doorway. And so once you crossed their borders, you were in. And so you notice Jesus is using that terminology to diagnose their situation. Before, behold, were you an open door? Because they knew themselves to be an open door. That was what Philadelphia was. And he said, no, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, that you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Here's their commendation. This is what they're doing. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So he begins to talk about the things taking place. He's diagnosing their situation. What might God say about the church in Annapolis? What, what, what might God, when he looks down, because you, you recognize when we talk about the church, what might Jesus be saying to the church in Annapolis? What might he be saying about our city? So he diagnoses them. And there's uh, uh, something here, behold, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan. Anyone know what that is? Who wants to know what it is? I can help out, not help out. You want to know? Who has? I, I don't care. Just keep reading. Keep, should I keep going? You want, you want to know? All right. I don't hear confidence. You want to know what synagogue is saying? Hello, anybody? All right, synagogue of Satan. All right, so, so what's happening here um, is the synagogue of Satan. So one of the oppositions the church at Philadelphia is facing is with these people that he says are in the synagogue of Satan. So I got to ask you a question. What does the word Satan mean? I need confidence. Who said that? Charlie. I think that was Charlie's voice. The bearded one. Oh, no, that wasn't Charlie? That was Jedediah? Jed, you sound just like Charlie. You are his son. So, so the Satan, you see this in Job, is the accuser. One of the roles Satan has is the, he's the accuser of the brethren. So it talks about in Philadelphia that there are those, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan. There is a synagogue, there is a gathering of people that are accusers. Right, one of the things that was happening, this you see in the book of Galatians, there was a Jewish population that was saying, nope. They're not, they're not believers. They got to do this. They got to get circumcised. So they're making actions. One of the things that can be so discouraging for a person is to constantly be accused and accused and accused. Think about growing up in a household being told you're nothing. You're never going to amount to anything. You're useless. That, that, that is burdensome. 
That is accusations. That comes rooted in the enemy. And he said, that, that is the synagogue of Satan. And so Philadelphia, you are serving in a region where people, all they do is make accusations. And friends, we're not immune from this. We got to be careful as a local church that we don't just say, you know, we got it all right and everyone else is wrong. That is an accusation. So as long as people, as I said in this passage, true to his word, and have not denied his name, let us not sit in the seat of the Holy Spirit and, and, and think we know what's going on. Let us not sit in the seat of Satan and make accusations. It's one of the things a friend of mine used to always say if I would mistakenly accuse him of something, he would say, hey, we already got one accuser of the brethren. We don't need another one. So the synagogue of Satan, that, that's what's taking place. That was a side note, coming back. Helpful, not helpful. How far? Right, good. Synagogue of Satan. So throughout our time together, whether it's Joey and myself, we'll, we'll begin to unpack some of the things that uh, might be helpful. Uh, synagogue say, uh, who say they are Jews and are not but lie. So, so he diagnoses their situation. Not only does he diagnose their situation, word of God. We need his word. Amen. Somebody, right? You don't need more David. Amen. Like that's, that's the point where you say, yes, we did enough of David, right? We don't need more David. Thank you. Who said that? <laughs> now we got to talk. All right. So we, we need more of his word. The thing that enabled the church at Philadelphia to be where they were is that you see it. He says, you, you have kept my word with patient endurance. Friends, if you do not have the word of God girding you, you will give up. And they kept his word. Here's his promise. I will keep from you the hour that is coming on the whole world to try those who are on earth. He says, you hold on, uh, hold on to more about patient endurance. Enduring is a hard thing, isn't it? When you are tired, fatigued, enduring is hard. Who are the athletes in this place? Who are my runners? Show of hands. You, yes, because you ran like forever, right? I remember you. you yes, yeah, so runners. So, so I made the ridiculous mistake of saying I want to run a half marathon. One of the dumbest things I ever do in my life. I got no business running 13 miles. Man, I, just, I was just young and just, just, right? So I'm running. We're in Philadelphia, and I'm running, and I'm running. Like, I can see the light. Like, I'm, I'm about to walk through that. It's over. I'm fading. So I'm at mile 12. Like, you, I, I, I was done. So I called Sandra. I was sitting on the road. I was like, Sandra, I'm done. I can't, I can't do it. I, I'm giving up. She said, you're so close. I said, I may be close, but I have nothing left in me. Sandra said, but I'm at the finish line. I'll be there waiting for you. Just, just try. And I, I did. I, I said, if she's going to be there, I'll try. So I was just like, <laughs> got to the finish line. Friends, it, it is hard. It is difficult, but we have a reward that is Jesus that is waiting on the other side. It's not worth compromising. It's not worth falling to that temptation. It's not worth throwing into the towel. Friends, do not give up with patient endurance. Hold on to his word. If everyone else rejects you, if everyone turns their back on you, there is a Savior in Scripture who will never turn his back on you. That is Jesus. Cling to him. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Here's where I pull out the headband. Getting a little sweaty. It's coming soon. Hold fast. 
Because that's, that's, that's the message of God to you this morning. Hold fast. Jesus' word to you this morning is hold fast so that no one may hold fast to what you have so no one can seize it from you. Friends, you have a precious jewel in the Lord Jesus Christ, and this book is going to put on full display his awesomeness. Please be here next week. Joey's going to open up uh, Revelation chapter 4 and 5, and it is a game changer. Oh, if you have not seen Jesus in this light, man, don't don't miss it. A lot of pressure on Joey now, but hey. But, but hold fast. Friends, if, you, if, you, if you're on the just throwing in the towel, find someone to be an encouragement to you in the same way when I called Sandra and I said, I'm about to give up on this race. And she said, no, you can do it. Surround yourself with people that can encourage you to persevere, to not give up. There is a promise. That's what you see in all these letters. There was a promise from the Savior that if you hold fast, There is a reward on the other side. Yes, it is difficult. Yes, it is challenging. So surround yourself with folks that can speak the truth of the gospel, that you could posture yourself to hear the voice of Jesus, to hear his diagnosis of your situation, to hear his promise and cling to that promise. So I'm going to call our team up, and I just want to speak the promises that are found in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 to you as a means to encourage you to hold on. Here's the promise that we have, and so we ought to live in light of his promise. It says this, to one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's God's promise to you. Hold fast. To the one who overcomes, they will not be hurt by the second death. Friends, that's God's promise to you. Hold fast. To the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. Him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Friends, that's God's promise to you. Hold fast. To the one who overcomes and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he'll rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself has received authority from the Father, and I will give him the morning star. Friends, that's God's promise to you this morning. Hold fast. To the one who overcomes will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. That's God's promise to you, friends. The name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. Friends, that's God's promise. Hold fast. And lastly, in Revelation chapter 3, 21, to the one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also have overcome and sat down with my Father on his throne. Friends, that's Jesus' promise for us. Don't compromise. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Hold fast. Stand firm in his promise and trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for pointing us to Jesus. Thank you that in writing to these seven churches that we too are recipients of what you're saying. 
And so, Lord, the pressures that we might face, the opposition we might face, whether it's the Nicolaitans, those of the synagogue of Satan, whether it's Jezebel, whatever we might face as opposition, corporately as a church in the city, locally as a local expression of the body of Christ called Downtown Hope, or even individually, Lord, or in our communities. Whatever the pressures we face, Lord, may we hold fast as we have fresh insight into who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Each week we are reminded of how Jesus overcame. He overcame and conquered. Scripture tells us in Revelation by the blood of the land and by the word of his testimony. And this morning we have a phenomenal opportunity to celebrate together corporately that reality through the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup. And so I want to read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, friends, we hold fast to the promises of Jesus because he gave himself for us. And so this morning, the body of Christ is given to you. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, friends, Jesus poured out and shed for you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I want to invite us to stand as we are preparing ourselves to receive communion. As we do so, let's do so with our mind's attention on God's promises. And if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, calling you to respond to the call of Jesus this morning and in faith, uh, trust in him. But if you're here and you're, that's just not your story, you have a lot of questions and you're not yet a follower of Christ, uh, we would ask that you wait. We wouldn't want you to participate in something you don't yet believe. We want to serve you by answering any questions you might have. Uh, we can grab a cup of coffee, as Emily said, using the cards and the seats in front of you. I want to pray, and then I'll invite us forward. We'll come from the sides and exit through the center. Let's pray together. So, Lord, thank you that you're sovereign. Thank you that you're holy. Thank you that you're true. Thank you that you have the keys of David that, no one, uh, that only you can open and no one can shut. Lord, as we come forward this morning, we come trusting. So as we eat the bread and drink from the cup, may we have a fresh encounter with you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come down and receive.